support from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. It is a beautiful celebration. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster. That's Jeannie Mancini, organizer of today's 50th anniversary edition of the annual March for Life, the first post-Roe versus Wade march. We need to celebrate today. Absolutely momentous that Roe has been overturned after 50 years. But there's so much work to be done still to build a culture of life in our country. Mancini tells Fox News they're marching into a new phase today as well. One new initiative moving towards state marches, 10 of which are already set up. This is a God case. God has given us this time to be here to celebrate. That's Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, who delivered key arguments that helped overturn Roe v. Wade. We knew there were thousands of people already rallying outside, praying, supporting, uh, uplifting and empowering us. My attorney, uh, my Solicitor General Scott Stewart and I were in there arguing. It was amazing. So we felt so good and we felt so uplifted. Fitch says the priorities now should be promoting life through steps such as workplace flexibility for mothers and more affordable child care. Plenty of people there from the listening area as well, including Jim Harden with Compass Care of Western New York. The more we talk about the equal value of all human life, the more pro-life the country gets. And, you know, just continuing to serve women who are facing unplanned pregnancy. By the way, the March for Life takes a new route today, passing the U.S. Capitol instead of going straight to the Supreme Court. Speaking of which, still hovering over that landmark decision, an unprecedented leak of the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Eight months after that leak, the high court says it still has no idea who the leaker was. This leak led to an assassination attempt on a sitting U.S. Supreme Court justice. Molly Hemingway with The Federalist, who says the high court cut corners in its investigation. Chief Justice Roberts did not seem to take it very seriously. It was a very lax investigation, not anything near the level of what should have happened if you really wanted to determine conclusively who did this. That unprecedented breach of the nation's highest court set off a rash of violence last spring by abortion activists at pro-life clinics all across the country. Elsewhere this day, big tech, it's not as big as it used to be. If you Google Google layoffs today, you'll find their parent Alphabet is the latest tech giant to be whittled down to size by economic reality. The parent company of Google, Alphabet, plans to eliminate about 12,000 jobs, which accounts for 6% of its workforce. The cuts will affect teams across the world, including here in the U.S. CBS's Wendy Gillette, Google joins fellow giants such as Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta in that trend of downsizing. Touring California flood damage yesterday, President Biden broke some silence on the controversy over his mishandling of classified documents while Vice President Biden struck a defiant tone. I will answer the question, but here's the deal. You know, what quite frankly bugged me is that we have serious problems. The American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. Biden characterizing the unsecured docs as a clerical error and says there's, quote, no there there. Former Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security Ken Cuccinelli says Biden's no regrets declaration is misguided. The no regrets, I mean, reminds me of the tattoo commercial, no regrets. I mean, this explanation is silly given how these documents are handled literally day to day, every single one separately. Even fellow Democrats such as California's Adam Schiff have concerns. Whenever classified documents are found somewhere, 
this shouldn't be. Uh, it's an issue. Schiff says it's important to find out who might have had access to those improperly handled documents. And Republicans, including Ohio's James Jordan, are likely to continue hammering the president with questions. Everyone's surprised at how this whole thing is unfolded. I still don't know the answer to why they were looking in the first place. What prompted them to go look on November 2nd? Next stop, Indiana. At least one person hospitalized and the suspect dead after a shooting Thursday night at a Walmart in Evansville. Sheriff Noah Robinson. We learned that seconds cost lives. When we arrive, we assemble a team as quickly as possible and we go directly to the threat and neutralize that to save life. Officer Taylor Maris was on the scene as well. You were in a building shopping for groceries and you hear gunshots going off. I mean, you, you just can't think about that. You know, that's never in your mind and then one day it happens. No word yet on who the shooter was or why he was shooting up the store. The FAA says it's gotten to the bottom of that massive ground stop last week. The FAA now says last week's problem that disrupted more than 11,000 flights was the result of contract personnel unintentionally deleting files. The FAA says the deletion occurred when they were trying to synchronize primary and backup databases. Officials say there is no evidence at this point of a cyber attack or malicious intent. Steve Futterman reporting. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin means while in Berlin meeting with European allies about Ukraine. So we're providing uh, 59 more Bradleys, 90 Strikers, 53 MRAPs, and 350 up-armored Humvees. Germany still talking with other European countries about how to best supply tanks to Ukrainian forces. And the French dairy company Denal is putting masks and diapers on cows. It's their effort to trap flatulence and burps. It's to reduce methane emissions, which some say cause global warming. I think these people have gone to Looney Town. There is no possible way that I'm going to put a diaper on my cow. And Stephanie Nash, who owns a dairy farm in Tennessee, she says the French plan is, pardon the pun, a load of bull. It just doesn't make sense to put a mask on a cow. That French dairy company hopes the diapers on cows plan will reduce greenhouse emissions by 30 percent by the year 2030. Wouldn't want to be the farmhand in charge of changing cow diapers. Still to come on the noon report, winter returns to parts of the listing area, political paralysis in the PA Statehouse, and and the Buffalo Sabres salute one of their best ever. A very good afternoon to all. We're watching for some late snow this afternoon and tonight. Small accumulations for some. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, thank you, Kevin. Now checking the stories making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. Dodgy driving for commuters today in parts of the listening area thanks to the return of lake effect snow. Winter weather advisories in place for some areas through tomorrow. No blizzard, but Chautauqua Ridge might pick up as much as a half foot by then. Meteorologist Elise Smith with WGRZ in Buffalo. The biggest impact here is going to be potentially on the morning and evening commutes, leading to the potential for some reduced visibility and some slick spots. Later Sunday, all of us could be dealing with some icy roads as a rain-snow mix arrives. Kevin Williams' full forecast is just ahead. By the way, regarding the blizzard of 22, Erie County exec Mark Polenkar says the number of people who lost their lives during that storm has gone up by three. That brings the death toll to 47. 46 of those in Erie County, the other in Niagara, and there are a few more cases pending. Warmth was certainly at a premium during that storm, and a Clarence, New York school bus driver has certainly taken that priority to heart. She crochets hats for all of her students to make sure they keep warm in the winter. She tells WGRZ she's made over 7,000 hats over her 29-year career. It makes me feel great, you know. 
that I could give them something to wear. Third grade teacher Deborah Bosworth says those hats are special to those kids and that Miss Patty, as they know her, is special too. It makes me feel like there are still special people in the world, special people who take that extra minute to form relationships and spread kindness. Miss Patty uses her own money to buy the yarn for those hats, although grateful students sometimes give her gift cards to help out a bit. New York Governor Kathy Hochul could be getting ready to file a lawsuit over her failed pick for chief judge. The Buffalo News reports that the governor's in the process of getting a litigator to gear up for a possible legal fight. A Hogo spokesperson tells the Buffalo News no final decision's been made about whether litigation would be filed. The governor's nomination of Hector LaSalle to the New York State Court of Appeals was rejected by the state Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday. Hochul's fellow Democrats casted the votes that sank the nomination. Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. A Cortland, New York car dealership went up in flames this morning. Images show large flames and extensive damage at the Go Auto Group Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealership on Route 281. Multiple fire departments called out around 3 a.m. No injuries reported. The cause unknown. When it comes to apartment rental price increases, Rochester is the worst city in the Northeast. So says a new study by housing market researchers Rent-O-Meter. Renter Jasmine Regler lives in the South Wedge community. She tells WROC that study's got it right. It is changing dramatically and not always for the best. Yes, there are more businesses here, but also the crime in this neighborhood is going up. People are getting priced out of this neighborhood. I'm getting a little discouraged because prices are just going up for no reason. People are overbidding. Rentometer says Rochester has far fewer options for single-family homes compared to demand since buying a home has become out of reach for more middle-class and lower-income households. Now to Harrisburg, where there's political paralysis in the Pennsylvania Statehouse. We are in a very awkward waiting stage right now. Newly elected Speaker Mark Rousey gaveled in the Statehouse Thursday, but virtually no one was in the chamber. Very little. Very little is going on right now. Democratic Representative Patty Kim, who tells ABC 27, is both political parties battle over who has control of the chamber. The hope is that lawmakers can get back to work when special elections are set to take place on February 7th. I think that's the magic number where we can solidify who's in the majority and who's not and then move forward with the calendar. The holdup in the House also affecting the state Senate, which has canceled the next two weeks of its session since it really can't get anything done without the lower chamber. The federal government recently came out with new, more aggressive guidelines for treating childhood obesity. Some Pennsylvania pediatricians are weighing in on the subject. Some have called the new treatment recommendations, including medications and surgery, too extreme. But Dr. Deborah Giorgetti says the more aggressive approach is safe. There are a fair number of weight loss drugs that are now approved for kids 12 and over. People were very very hesitant to recommend bariatric surgery, but the longer it's been around, what we're finding is that it is safe for certain adolescents. And Dr. Jennifer Franchelli Holsterman says it boils down to using life-saving measures when they're needed. Most patients, unfortunately, will have a higher mortality rate than their peers with healthier weights. And that's a big concern. That's something that we shouldn't wait on. That's something that we should really use all hands on deck. Both doctors tell WNEP the more aggressive childhood obesity treatments are still reserved for cases severe enough to warrant them. Now back to New York. Doing well, but still a long way to go. That's the word from the family of injured Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin. The player's recovered enough from his on-field cardiac arrest that he's been spending an increasing amount of time with the team at their practice facility. But the family says don't read too much into that. They say Hamlin still needs oxygen during the course of the day and has a long way to go in his recovery. New York Governor Kathy Hochul, meanwhile, wants to bring Hamlin to the Big Apple. The governor revealed she spoke to Damar Hamlin, saying he wants to use the gift of his story to inspire others. And I said you can be a great voice to join with 
with me and letting young people know that through sports or music and culture and dance at places like this, they can have a better outcome. Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field during a primetime game between the Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, prompting support from across the country. I'm Troy Thomas. Of course, the Bills playoff rematch with the team Hamlin was injured against, the Cincinnati Bengals, is the marquee matchup among four NFL playoff games this weekend. Bills fans will be happy to hear that quarterback Josh Allen plans to prioritize protecting the football, something he's struggled a bit with lately. Uh, short memory and just trying to move on, be the best quarterback that I can be for the Bills. Um, obviously wanting to make good decisions and, you know, I think, you know, out of the whole game, I think I made one bad decision. It was the, the deep ball to, to John. Also of great interest in the listening area, an intriguing matchup between the NFC regular season champ Philadelphia Eagles and the upstart New York Giants. Giants head coach and former Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable. Good to move on, but you, know, you got to put that in the past really quick and get to the preparation on this week's opponent, which number one seed, the one to East, they beat us twice. They got eight pro bowlers, six all pros. I think they can get your attention real quick. Eagles QB Jalen Hurts says he can't wait to play some playoff football in front of Philly fans. So a special city it's a special time and um you know we're taking it day by day but obviously we know we have the support of our city through everything and you know let's show up on saturday Eagles Giants kick off Saturday night at 8:15. Bills Bengals Sunday at three. And while the football and while football will dominate the weekend, last night in Buffalo, it, it, and while football will dominate the weekend, last night in Buffalo, it was all about the Sabers and one of their best goalies ever. Goaltender Ryan Miller feted with a lengthy pregame ceremony in KeyBank Center as a sold-out crowd joined some of Miller's peers in the retirement of his number 30 jersey. Miller says he and his family were grateful for the love shown to them by the Buffalo community during and after his career. Community is what makes Buffalo great, and that is where my love for the city comes. Thank you for letting me be a part of it, and thank you for this wonderful honor. Fittingly, after the ceremony, the goaltenders for the Sabres and visiting New York Islanders both put on quite a show, with Buffalo prevailing in overtime. I had the privilege of being there with my son last night. It's a memory I think everyone who was there will treasure for quite some time. And that, very appropriately, brings us to a check of sports. Here's Randy. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Mark, the Buffalo Sabres snapped their two-game skid last night with an overtime win over the Islanders, 3-2. It was a back-and-forth affair as Brock Nelson gave New York a 1-0 lead in the first. Alex Tuck tied it for Buffalo in the second, but Matt Martin gave the Isles a lead toward the end of the period, 2-1. Halfway through the third, it was Victor Olofsson's turn to find the back of the net, and his goal sent the contest to end overtime. That only took 12 seconds to play. Dylan Cousins sent the home crowd home happy as the Sabres are now in fifth place in the Atlantic Division. At the Garden, the Boston Bruins won their fourth straight with a 3-1 win over the Rangers. The Flyers fell to the Blackhawks 4-1. Elsewhere, your winners, the Canes, Ducks, Panthers, Leafs, Blues, Caps, Oilers, Kraken, Red Wings, and Stars. On to the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers have won their fourth straight, a 105-95 decision over the Portland Trailblazers. Once again, it was Joel Embiid leading the way with 32 points. 
James Harden had a triple-double, scoring 16, grabbing 10 boards, and handing out 14 assists. The Nets didn't quite make it all the way back from a 20-point deficit in the fourth quarter. They ended up falling to Phoenix, 117-112. Kyrie Irving scored 21 of his 30 points in that fourth quarter as Brooklyn got to within three with 11 seconds to play, but they ran out of time. The Bulls, Celtics, and T-Wolves, your other winners. One other basketball note, this from the college ranks. Gonzaga's 76-game home winning streak is over. Unranked Loyola Marymount upset the sixth-ranked Zags 68-67. That is a look at sports. All right, thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, the March for Life, judging Hector LaSalle, and what kind of governor will Josh Shapiro turn out to be? Christian watchdogs Jason McGuire and Michael Gear join our Bob Price for a deep dive into those topics next on Capital Connection. Welcome to Breakpoint, daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. 50 years ago, January 22, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court fabricated the so-called right to abortion out of thin air. This travesty of justice, which enabled the deaths of tens of millions of innocent little souls, deserves a place among the absolute worst legal decisions in American history. Well, today, thanks to the goodness of God, the long labors of pro-lifers over the years, and the keen legal efforts of the present Supreme Court, Roe is no more. That's reason to celebrate. However, in the months since the Dobbs decision, it's become painfully clear just how much work remains for those who are committed to see the end of abortion. Specifically, Dobbs returned the legal decision-making about abortion to states. The legal decision-making that has happened since is not so encouraging. In Kansas, a statewide pro-life ballot initiative went down in flames. A few months later, Michigan passed the most radical pro-abortion law that America has seen yet. And Montana, of all places, a bill that would have merely required helping babies born alive after a botched abortion procedure, failed. When even a conservative state can't be bothered to restrict personal freedom in order to preserve the life of a baby outside the womb, why would we expect pro-life success anywhere else? In Psalm 11, verse 3, David famously asked, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Recently, I was surprised to learn that there's a bit of scholarly debate as to whether this was stated in a present tense, such as, now that the foundations are gone, what can the righteous do? Or in a past tense, if the foundations are destroyed, then what have the righteous done? The first interpretation is an observation, that things cannot stand without a solid foundation. That's clearly true. The second is more of an appeal, that if our work ignores the building of proper foundations, we're wasting our time. Well, either way, the connection between preserving foundations and the work of the church in any cultural setting is plain. In our case, living in the midst of the cultural evil of abortion, three foundations have been lost and demand our attention. The first is the idea of the image of God as the basis of human dignity and value. The loss of our understanding of who we are as human beings leaves only some vague notion of autonomy and self-expression as that which grounds our existence. So, certain members of our community, those who stand in the way of our autonomy and self-expression, have to be sacrificed to ensure our flimsy notion of self. Well, the second foundation that requires our attention is the defense of truth as essential in understanding reality. In a culture like ours, so captivated by relativism, there are a million and one claims of being quote-unquote personally pro-life that lead to a million and two rationalizations of taking pre-born lives. 
And unless people are able to have a clear sense that certain things, such as abortion, are wrong for everyone anywhere at all times, well, then long-term moral progress on the issue will be nearly impossible. A final foundation that has to be rebuilt is the foundation of married moms and dads as the foundation of society. Married moms and dads do provide the best situation for the care and protection of children. Simply put, the more that fatherless and husbandless homes become the norm, the more that preborn children will be at risk, the more their deaths will be accepted as a necessary convenience. Well, today, many will march in Washington, D.C., again committing to this great moral cause of our day. Because the Supreme Court no more settled the issue in Dobbs than it did in Roe, their work and our work continues. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Padgett. For more resources to live in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org. All right, let's check in with Kevin Williams. All right, now let's check in with meteorologist Kevin Williams. For this afternoon, cloudy with occasional snow and flurries. Any drizzle or sprinkles ending. Temperatures holding nearly steady. Could be a couple of inches in parts of western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. For tonight, mostly cloudy. Some local lake snow and flurries. Could be another inch or two in the lake belts. A little or nothing elsewhere. Low temperatures, mid-20s to the low 30s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. Some morning flurries. Then a peak at the sun in the afternoon. The high in the low to mid-30s. Sunday's mostly cloudy with some snow late in the day and at night. Now, that snow mixed with rain in parts of northeast Pennsylvania for a while. High temperatures on Sunday in the 30s to near 40. All right, very good. Kevin Williams, thank you much. You're listening to The Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Michael, I want to start with you this week, the 50th annual March for Life and the first since the reversal of Roe is happening right now in our nation's capital. You are there on the mall for the march. Uh, polls show, despite that Supreme Court ruling, uh, about six in ten Americans still support abortion. What's it going to take to change public perception? Well, it was 50 years, you mentioned 50 years uh, for the March for Life, and 50 years that this country has lived under the Roe versus Wade regimen, which is basically allowing for abortion on demand in most cases. And so that's what the culture is used to, and that's why a lot of people sort of say that they think they support abortion. But when you get down uh, into sort of the, the granular details about it, well, do you support abortion at this stage of pregnancy, you know, at three months, at six months, or whatever, suddenly you start finding people's opinions shift. And so as we talk about the humanity of the unborn child, I think we can change public opinion. Yeah, and in many ways, Jason, since that historic Supreme Court ruling, this fight has gotten tougher in New York. The Out-of-State Abortions Act is moving forward in the state Senate. What is it? And uh, where did this notion that abortion is health care come from? Yeah, essentially it is a uh, Senate bill. There is an assembly sponsor as well. And there is also a push from Governor Kathy Hochul that there would be state funds to pay to fly women here for their abortions from states that tend to be more pro-life. There is funds for child care for your other children while you undergo your abortion, things along those lines. Uh, That is taxpayer funding. And even where folks are supportive of 
of abortion. As Michael has indicated, there is a difference on public funding of abortion. And the idea that abortion is health care is something that has kind of become the mantra of the modern Democratic Party, but in reality is the antithesis of health care. We are talking about the ending of an innocent human life. That is not health care. Yeah. Uh, recently, Congress, Michael, passed the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. It used to be called Infant Protection Act. Basically, it would prevent infanticide. And I think only one, maybe two Democrats voted for it. Nancy Pelosi called it extreme. How did we get to this point in our country? You know, there's a scripture that says that uh, those who hate God love death. And when I think about the abortion movement and sort of the extremism that we're seeing, even to the point where we vote on whether we protect the lives of infants who are born alive through botched abortion or elsewhere, and we see just uh, one or two Democrats voting for it, suggests that there is a death culture. When uh, Jason was just talking about in New York State where they want to use taxpayer dollars to bring people from out of state to come and kill their unborn child just suggests a death culture that is tied to the abortion industry, which is why we need to pray and engage and work so hard to restore a culture of life. And uh, one more issue, and then we'll move on, Jason. Uh, you've you mentioned a lot about New York efforts to become an abortion tourism destination. How else is the state legislature, in concert with the governor, working to expand abortion in the year 2023? Yeah, there's a host of things that are happening here in this state. Uh, for example, they're moving to place abortion under telehealth medicine. Uh, one of our concerns with that particular measure is it would allow those that are trafficking women to forego the waiting room at a Planned Parenthood facility and simply receive uh, those abortion poisons and, and administer them to these uh, sex trafficked women. There's a problem there. You know, we're seeing multiple levels of where the nationally and even the state level pushes uh, to, to move pharmacy type medical abortions. Uh, you name it, if it can be done. States like New York are trying to do it. Well, Pennsylvania got a new governor uh, this week, Michael. That's big news. Josh Shapiro sworn in Tuesday. Um, what are your biggest concerns when it comes to a Shapiro administration? Well, number one, Shapiro is a consummate politician, and so uh, he holds to many ideologically radical ideas. For example, one of them, recreational marijuana, legalization of commercialization of marijuana. Although he has said he supports Pennsylvania's Abortion Control Act in his campaign, he also said he supports expanded abortion, so we see him pushing that in that arena as well. And then on the uh, LGBT issue, on crime and some other things, he has not been uh, a friend to the family as it were. And so we'll be watching and working hard to resist the things that he does that are bad and to support him when he wants to do good things. And big news in New York as well. Uh, Jason, Senate confirmation hearings for Chief Justice nominee Hector LaSalle. He still has to win confirmation. Hochul uh, has nominated this guy, but uh, Democrats don't like him. How come? Well, there's some thoughts from those in the Senate Democrats that are uh, serving on these committees that will vote on uh, Hector LaSalle that he may be too moderate for their liking. Remember that in New York, the uh, progressive wing of the Democratic Party really is in control of the state assembly. They are uh, gaining control in the Senate. Their last lever of power that they are opposing 
is in the judiciary. Remember, this is a candidate uh, who has openly said in the hearings that he supports abortion rights, yet that is not far enough left for where the progressives would like to take our state. All right. Uh, Michael, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear the case of the postal worker from Lancaster County. Uh, You're writing about this on your website this week. Uh, Tell us what's going on here. Yeah, this employee is named uh, Gerald Groff. Uh, He's a client, actually, of the Independence Law Center, which is part of the Pennsylvania Family Institute. We brought this case uh, on his behalf. He works for the Postal Service, and when he signed up, he said, you know, based on his view of the Sabbath and not wanting to work Sunday, the post office initially made accommodations for him because there were other employees who could do it. Uh, But subsequently, the post office said, no, you're going to have to work Sundays, which for Mr. Groff is something that he says he cannot do. And so this case now, uh, we're glad, has been taken by the United States Supreme Court to sort of straighten out what the law and the precedent is related to religious accommodations for those who have definitive conscience objections to things in their employee relationship. About a week ago, Jason, a judge in Syracuse struck down the COVID vaccine mandate for health care workers. Is the Hochul administration going to challenge this? I don't know that it will be challenged. Uh, I think that when we have seen similar actions, Governor Hochul has seen the uh, tough way forward she will have to face in some of these decisions. So she probably will not openly challenge it, but it does not mean that uh, with opening arms you will see those medical workers coming back or that there will be uh, compensation given for those who lost their jobs as a result of this. Uh, It will be a difficult position for those medical workers either way. Yeah, and I know a lot of people in the military are seeing the same kind of results. They're losing benefits, losing pensions, all because... They don't get the shot. Uh, Michael, a bill in Harrisburg would allow teachers to wear visible expressions of their faith at school. Christian Cross, for instance. Why has it taken so long for the teachers unions to support this? Well, it's interesting because Pennsylvania is the last state in the country to uh, have a law that prohibits wearing a cross or other religious expression in the classroom. Pennsylvania has never been much for an early adoption state since the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were hammered out here. We have not been otherwise an early adopter state. Uh, So it's really been more sort of legislative kind of wranglings and things that have prevented it from moving forward. But we're hopeful now in this new legislative session that we will get it past the Senate and then will get passed in the House of Representatives in short order because it's a liberty issue that we think uh, needs to pass. Yeah. And then finally, Jason, let's talk about the illegal immigration issue for just a bit. Uh, Illegal immigrants are showing up upstate places like Jamestown, New York. Why is this happening? Well, we've seen New York City Mayor Adams, a Democrat and a former state senator, uh, who has been up in arms over the fact that he is having to pay for all sorts of um, migrant people that are moving to New York City. As a result of that, uh, we're now seeing many of those illegal aliens now moving around the state, and they are moving to places like Jamestown. Well, if it's a thousand that are coming to New York City of an impact there, and it's a hundred coming to a smaller municipality, you can imagine that uh, it is just as challenging for those places. This is something that uh, I do not blame the individuals trying to come to America. I rather think we have a problem at the border that needs to be fixed at the federal level. Yeah, every state is a border state. Every town is a border town these days. Hey, just like that, we are out of time, but if you have questions about any of the issues discussed today, uh, both of you gentlemen have wonderful websites where folks can go and learn more. Michael, if you would, where can folks get a hold of you at the Pennsylvania Family Institute? 
TheTAFamily.org. Stay informed on all the issues as well in New York. Jason, you've got a wonderful website, New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. What is it, sir? AlbanyUpdate.com. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Capital Connection, of course, airs Fridays during the noon report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Just ahead. Now coming up, he's not just any old dog. He's now the oldest dog of all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast on the midday weather map. We're noting a chillier air mass making a move into our region with plenty of low-level moisture. That is resulting in some lake-enhanced snow and flurries in parts of the area that will continue into tonight. That activity will move out tomorrow. Then we watch a system coming up from the Ohio Valley that will bring some snow to the area late Sunday, Sunday night into Monday. Parts of central New York and northeast Pennsylvania will be especially prone to accumulations then. In the meantime, for this afternoon, cloudy with occasional snow and flurries. Any drizzle or sprinkles ending. Temperatures holding nearly steady. Could be a couple of inches in parts of western New York and northwest Pennsylvania. For tonight, mostly cloudy. Some local lake snow and flurries could be another inch or two in the lake belts, but little or nothing elsewhere. Low temperatures, mid-20s to the low 30s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, some morning flurries, then a peak at the sun in the afternoon, the high in the low to mid-30s. Sunday's mostly cloudy with some snow late in the day and at night. Now, that snow mixed with rain in parts of northeast Pennsylvania for a while. High temperatures on Sunday in the 30s to near 40. Alright, thank you, Kevin. Bit of a complicated forecast there. Finally at noon, our Brian Query with a dog tale about an endearing and enduring little fella named Spike. Rita Kimball, Spike's owner, said she and her family found the canine in the parking lot of a Camden grocery store 13 years ago, and he was in pretty bad shape. Kimball decided to bring the dog home to her small farm, where he immediately fit in. She named him Spike because even though he was small, he had the attitude of a big dog. A trip to the veterinarian determined Spike was around 10 years old at the time, and his birthday was chosen to be November 10th, 1999. Brian Query, Family Life News. Well done, Spike. That's the world we live in for Friday, January 20th, 2023. Thank you very much for listening. Have a blessed weekend. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.